Our text is Nahum chapter 3 and verse 4 this morning. I want to preach verse 5 tonight. Um, I'll probably preach uh, the next two weeks. I'll be preaching Thanksgiving type sermons and then I'll do a sermon in, back in Nahum again then the rest of the year in Christmas if, uh, <clears throat> so you know what's on the agenda. Okay, and that won't change unless the Lord changes my mind, okay? And he's done that a time or two, but uh, outside of that, uh, that's where it'll be. Nahum chapter 3, verse 4, and the sermon I've titled, It Makes God Angry. Now, sometimes pastors get angry. Pastor and his family were driving to a high school graduation of one of the cousins, and Pastor's kids were younger kids, and so as they're driving along, he's thinking of ahead, and he says, Now, I know how kids get fidgety. So he tells the children, he says, Now look, graduations sometimes are long, and they're very boring. I don't want you to be asking when's it over. I don't want you to be getting fidgety and moving around, and, and, and uh, I want you to set up. And, and be very behaved and pay attention. You got that? And one of the kids answered from the back, Oh, yes, Dad. We're used to sitting through your sermons. <laughs> if my kids use that, they're out of the will, okay? All right. Nahum chapter 3 and verse 4. Because of the multitude of the whoredoms of the well-favored harlot, the mistress of witchcrafts, that selleth nations through her whoredoms and families through her witchcrafts. Now shall we pray. Father, I realize, Lord, that as I enter into this message today, that there are some very hard things that are going to be said through this message. But they're truth. We want to speak the truth into love, and yet, the world's definition of love is so messed up, so blind, that anything that may go against the grain does not seem as love to them. And yet, Lord, we want to rescue the perishing and care for the dying. Therefore, we want to speak the truth in love. But, Father, we want to speak the truth as it is to men as they are. What we're looking at is what destroyed a country back in Nahum's day. We're looking at something that destroyed the Roman Empire in many countries. And so, Lord, I pray that this would serve as a warning. And yet, an edification for believers and a glorification of the Holy God and Savior that we serve, Jesus Christ. I would ask also again that if there's one under the sound of my voice today who does not know that if they died today that heaven's their home, may today be the day they come to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I would ask this in that name that's above every name, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In verses 2 and 3, we saw the effect of the noise of the war on Nineveh, and it was hard. It was really hard. After these terrible pronouncements and the total destruction, the noise of destruction, we saw that in verses 2 and 3. But now in verses 4 and 5, 
we're going to find out why. Why this happens. We're going to find out just what makes God angry that he would do this. You know, the world likes to hear God is love, and God is love. But it's not the world's definition of love. God is love, but God is holy, and his holiness is never canceled out by his love. His love is never canceled out by his holiness. It works together. They're, they're the, they're, they are one and one, and they can't be one without the other. God is holy. God is love. The Bible tells that about both of them. That's not a choice. It is the person of our God. We need to get to know the person of our God. Now, in our text, in verse 4 here, we find that his anger is for the multitude of the whoredoms of the well-favored harlot. It, the Hebrew word for whoredom here is always plural in the Bible. Always. It's never a singular thing. It is always plural in the Bible. And we're reminded of Hebrews chapter 13 and, and verse 4 where it says, Marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. That tells us that this sin is very serious to God. We live in a day when men just move in and live together with women. There are men with men, women with women as well. That is a sin that is the gutter as far as God is concerned, although men seem today to kind of justify that. Well, it's not that bad. It is terribly evil in God's sight. But let me say this. We also understand that God can save those souls. Never look at a homosexual, never look at somebody living in adultery as someone that is, cannot be saved. But when God saves them, he'll change them. He can take them out of that which has control of their life. Now, our text here is <clears throat> referring to doing business with her. It's a financial exchange. This will refer both to physically and spiritually as it looks as, at its turn from God. This sin of whoredom is an awful, totally depraved, debaucherous sin in its worst form. And yet, do you realize the Bible has something to say about something worse than that? You say something worse than, than whoredom? Yes. In Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 32 through 34, it says this, But as a wife that committeth adultery, which taketh strangers instead of her husband, they give gifts to all whores, but thou givest thy gifts to thy lovers, and hirest them, that they may come unto thee on every side for thy whoredom. And the contrary is in thee from other women in thy whoredoms. Whereas none followeth thee to commit whoredoms, and that thou givest a reward, and no reward is given unto thee, therefore thou art contrary. What is God is saying here? That when there is a harlot, and she is doing this for 
money. She's selling herself for money. That is terrible. That is evil. But worse than that are people that have affairs. For the lady, there's an English word that's not a cuss word, but it turns your stomach. You don't have that label, but it's the word slut. Now, I said I'm going to be very hard, very straightforward with you, but very true, because I'm trying to show you God's attitude. Why? Because He is the one that you will appear before one day. And, and if I hide that from you and I try to overlook it like the world now, I, those guys that are my age, okay, I can remember over 50 years ago, working in a grocery store. And when we'd bag groceries for somebody, and, and, and then somebody would say, they're not married, they're living together. And they'd walk out, and they'd have a car parked all the way across the parking lot. It was a shame in that day. It was the lowest dregs of society. Today, it's accepted by a society, but it hasn't changed with God. Now, one day, in judgment, you're not going to stand before society. You're going to stand before God. We're telling you the truth so that you might be able to repent and get right with God and not delve into that sin. This sin... Moving in and living together, having affairs, not necessarily moving in and living together, but just having affairs, a slut is worse than a whore, the Bible lets us know here in uh, Ezekiel chapter 16. Let, let me say something, ladies. Ladies, these men... These affairs with men, they may be people in your neighborhood, they may be people you work with, just people you know. They don't love you, but they do lust you. And men, she may give herself to you without payment. But what you pay in eternity will be far more expensive. Now, I have said that because that's the lowest of the low. Yet, when one of these gets saved, don't ever call them common or unclean. Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11 says, what God has cleansed, call it not common or unclean. Unfortunately, we live in a day when many Christians have no forgiveness in their heart. People get divorced. Look, I can never stand up and say, that's a good thing to do. But people get divorced, they repent. Look, the Bible says that man can't be a pastor and he can't be a deacon. But it does not say they cannot serve God. As a Christian, don't treat them as a second-class Christian. Uh, let me give an example of that. Remember the woman at the well? She'd had five husbands. The man that she was living with was not her husband. And, and, and she gets saved. She goes back to the city and finds all those men that she's had relationships with. Says, come on back. Come here. I want you to hear Jesus. I want you to know Jesus. I want you to know. I find that that, that past life, that, that is stomach turning, that is a terrible thing. I want you to know somebody that saved me from that. 
And guess what? Guess what? Some of them got saved. There were other people saying, her. But later they got saved saying, we believe. Not because of what you said. Because we heard the word. But do you realize that that old reprobate got saved? And she turned more people to righteousness than those self-righteous people that were running them down. And that self-righteous person may be the person that is saved so as by fire. Religious, but not righteous. Nineveh has a testimony of having forsaken the repentance of their fathers 150 years earlier under the preaching of Jonah. Today we see those that were formerly fundamental preachers and uh, in fundamental churches, they had standards, they wouldn't use that kind of music, they wouldn't dress that way, they wouldn't do those kind of things, but they're doing them today. What's going on? Why? Why have they forsaken the holy, the pure, the moral, the ethical righteousness that they should have? Were they a fraud back then or are they a fraud now? Why did they turn from it? Do you really think that our American forefathers, those who gave their lives on the field of battle, veterans fought in the war, were wounded, and other things that happened, do you think they fought to keep us from hearing about Jesus Christ? To keep us from being able to express the gospel to others? Do you think they fought so that our children could become homosexuals and have, have sex change operations. There's no way those men died for that. That's not what was in their mind. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34, it says it this way, Righteousness exalteth the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. It is a reproach. Nothing is good about it. And, and he says it is a reproach to any people. That includes America. God will judge any nation that forgets his blessings upon them and casts itself into gutter immorality. And look, America can have the best economy. America was founded on a Judeo-Christian ethic. That simply means biblical Teachings and principles of this Bible were used to establish laws for us to live by. That's the way it was established. Unfortunately, we live in an age where they don't teach that in the schools anymore. And, and, but my, my growing up years, they taught that. We even had prayer in public school. We read the Bible in public school. From time to time, they had preachers in public school. They don't do that today. They've kicked God out of school. Do you think that America's too big for God to judge he that created the heaven and the earth in six literal 24-hour days. You think he can't judge America? Look, I love America. But I also see my America being destroyed and judged if it doesn't repent. Nineveh is called the well-favored harlot. Well-favored has the idea of pretty, desirable, Sensual, making others attracted to her. Okay, I'm not going to let up yet. Proverbs chapter 7, verse 10, again, 
These are the words of God, not the words of Andy, the words of God. There is the attire, Proverbs 7.10 says, of a harlot. That accurately describes ladies dressing in tight, form-fitting clothing, the short shorts, the, the, the mini skirts, and the low-cut blouses that reveal even one one-millionth of a part of your body that only your husband should see. And ladies, let me tell you, you go out there because it's stylish, you go out there because, well, people's doing it that way, now that's the way they're dressed today, just understand that men are not thinking about how good and moral they're wondering what degree of a slut she is. You say, oh, men don't think that way. Yes, they do. I are one. I grew up a man. They're not looking at you for how pure you are. But let me go on beyond that. They may look at you as already loose, but moms or dads, you know what boys think of your daughters when they are dressed that way. A young man, a young teenage young man is going to tell your daughter they love them with all their heart to get what they want. If you really love me, you'll do this. Wives, don't be what the Bible refers to as silly women, led away with divers' lust, ending in slut relationships with your neighbor men or, or fellow employees or at work or whatever have you. Dress like a Christian. Flee fornication. Now, let me also say this. Probably every liberal God-hating person, many contemporary religious people will hate what I just said. But you men know down deep that what I just talked about, the attire of a harlot, is considered advertisement. And by the way, God's Word does say I'm a messenger and I'm supposed to tell the truth. So I won't apologize for God being holy. I will not apologize for God being who He is. <clears throat> I will not apologize for His Word. I'm only surprised he allows me to preach it. Unfortunately, people are dressing so immodestly when they come to church, especially, you're seeing it today, you see the singers, you see the preachers even. They're dressed down. They're standing in the pulpit. They're making a statement. They're saying, my Jesus accepts this, but it's another Jesus. I don't know about their Jesus, but I do know this about my Jesus. He is the high, holy creator God who's worthy of all my worship and all of the best that I have to give to him. And by the way, you go into a courtroom, you can't go in sloppy. You go in to visit the president, you can't go in sloppy. If I preach your mother's funeral, 
or your child's funeral, dressed as they are dressed. You have no, you have no room to complain, get upset about that if you expect more respect for your child than you do the almighty holy God. You have, that's another Jesus that you're thinking about now. You need to get to know the Jesus of the Bible. That's the Jesus that we know. Today you have religious dances in church. But they have a story. Yeah, and I'm sure that men are sitting there lusting after these gals jumping around and Tyson saying, oh, that just so speaks to my heart. It does, the lustful heart. And see what it ends up doing, it ends up converting people. Converting them to another Jesus, not the Jesus that cleansed them by the shed blood of the cross that will save their souls if they'll come to him. Do not be a tool of Satan in God's house or anywhere. Again, I love you folks, I really do. I, I don't want to see God's hand of chastening. I don't want to see God's hand of judgment coming upon you. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11 actually teaches that. And you either got to call God a liar or you got to say, I need to get right. And by the way, the harlot church of Revelation chapter 17 and 18 also uses the sensual to draw the fallen nature of man with its corrupted worship. The church of the latter day uses false doctrine. They use ecumenical worship. Let's forget those doctrines that make us different. Especially these strong Bible, biblical held doctrines of righteousness and true holiness. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 5, it'll tell you what the last days are like. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, heaping to themselves teachers itching ears. Make me feel good about myself. I don't want to feel bad about my sin. <laughs> well, don't preach against sin, preacher. I, it makes me feel bad. Look. We're trying to help you repent from your sin because Jesus will forgive you today and he'll change you if you'll just dedicate and give him your heart and life. He'll do that. He's a loving God. But this other worship that's going on today, God sees it as absolutely disgusting and abominable in his sight as adultery. It's like a husband or a wife, either one saying, look, I love this other person, but I love you too. That doesn't work with that husband or wife, and especially that doesn't work with God in your relationship to him. You may think there's room for compromise, but God's word does not. The holy God never compromised. Man must be reconciled to God, not God to man. You come to Jesus Christ as you are and let him do in you whatever he needs to do to make you fit for eternity. So again, as the messenger of God, I'm just telling you that at this point, at this modern movement, it is drawing numbers. It really is. But it'll reach a point when judgment begins at the house of God because God says it will. And that judgment, when it starts, he's been long-suffering, but when it starts, it is swift and it is total. Uh, 
Jerusalem found that out. After all the warning, and then in A.D. 70, they went into captivity, and they didn't get out of that until 1948. That's a while. I think of the seven churches of Asia. In Revelation chapters 2 and 3, they were all warned, and guess what? We don't have those churches today. God judges, yet in love He forgives if you confess and you forsake those sins. Make things right with God. Nineveh repented of its repentance from 150 years earlier. Don't repent of your salvation in Christ Jesus. Don't repent of rededications that you've made at an altar, whether it's in a church service or a revival meeting or some other type of meeting. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 4 through 6 says, God has no pleasure. He calls them fools that would do that. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 30 through 32, there are people coming to the Lord's table. Some drunk, some in adultery, some in all types of sin. Some of it was just plain old mouthy sins, gossipy sins. And God made many of them sick, and some of them died early. Now, the rest of that verse says, The mistress of witchcrafts that selleth nations through her whoredoms and families through her witchcrafts. You see, it affects nations, it affects families. The mistress of witchcrafts takes us back to 1 Samuel 15 23. Where it says, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath rejected thee from being king. Stubborn rebellion is on the level of witchcraft and iniquity in God's sight. King Saul, who had been chosen of God, lost his kingdom because of his rebellion and stubbornness. He was God's anointed man. He had walked with God, but his disobedience to God, wanting his own way, his will, instead of God's, he wanted to be loved by the religious people, but not necessarily by the righteous people. He corrupted worship, very clearly in 1 Samuel 13. And 14, he corrupted worship and he corrupted life. But it didn't only affect him. It affected his family. How many times I've heard a dad or mom say, well, this is just for me. This is just me. Not my family, it's me. They think it doesn't affect their family. They're... They're only deceiving themselves. Only themselves. As Saul, believers today have rebelled against standards, against doctrines, against righteousness, against God's word. And the phrase, mistress of witchcrafts, is a rebellion that God hates. And when you find people that hates Bible preaching, Sin-naming, holy-living preachers, they'll call it legalistic. And if they're saved, God calls them saved so as by fire. God's right, not them. 
Oh, you just got standards. You're legalistic. Okay, go out and kill a few people. Well, that's wrong. Well, hey, you're a legalist. You, you think it's all right to kill. You don't think it's all right to kill, so you, you must be a legalist. Well, you see, usually you're better off to keep your mouth shut and just believe God. Just believe God. In Revelation chapter 3 and verse 4, it speaks of the church at Sardis. Boy, it had a, a, a great church there. Yeah, it says, thou hast namest, thou livest. God looked at it and says, it's dead. But then he says, there are some there that have not defiled their garments. They didn't compromise with the spirit of the age, and they shall stand with me, he said, in that kingdom. Look, they'll be well rewarded, although they were looked down upon right now. Jesus fed 5,000. Next time he feeds 4,000. He's preaching in John chapter 6. He talks about being truth and light. He talks about his blood and his body. And many of his own disciples from that time forward went away from him. In three and a half years, he went from over 5,000 down to almost zero. Which the world calls a failure, but I'm glad he failed if that's a failure because my soul is saved because he stood true to his own word. You see, what we need is to get the idea in our minds that we're not going to go away without Jesus. Like Mary and Joseph, they lost Jesus as a 12-year-old, but what did they do? They went back to where they lost him. I don't know where you got away from the Lord, but go back to that place. Go back to where you left Jesus. Go back and get right. Go back and do the things that you ought to do. Let's get back to a house where they preach the word of God, not living to accommodate our pleasures and our so-called comfort zone. The families in our text, this is really interesting because the word families here in our text refers to bloodlines. These people, their sin, their decisions would affect their children and their progeny afterwards. Many will end up in hell because I want to be the cool dad. I want to be the cool mom. In eternity, that kid in hell, that grandkid in hell will not think you're cool. But my children want to go to those places. My children want to do these things. But they're still going to church. And so they see mom and dad change from the biblical standard. And what happens? You've destroyed the foundations. They get in the tight where they need to turn. They'll say, well, dad forsook that, so that must not be the way. And you've destroyed the foundations. So let me put it this way. If God's people do not repent, don't expect others to repent. Don't expect others to get saved. Calling the unsaved to the repentance is hard if we have an unrepentant living life as a Christian. But listen. You want to show God thanks? Live a truly dedicated holy life. Perhaps even to rededicate your life to Christ today. Now you can't dedicate something that rededicate something that hasn't been dedicated to begin with. See, first you need to be saved. If you're not sure if you died today that heaven's your home. Listen, when Jesus was dying on the cross, I mentioned some pretty rough sins 
and said some pretty rough things. And yet, you come to Jesus Christ, He can cleanse you of the sin. He can even cleanse you from the power of that sin over you. Look, I've seen drug addicts, alcoholics, sexual addicts, all that changed. God can do that. He can cleanse you and make you as pure as the new driven snow. And he wants to do that for you. <laughs> but you've got to come to him. You say, well, what if I can't forsake that sin? What if I can't forsake that life? That's all right. You come to him and say, Lord, I can't forsake it, but I want it out of my life. Would you take it away? And he will. He will. Come to him for the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. He'll save you if you'll come to him. But you must come to him. Oh, won't you come today? Let's bow our heads, please.